No pressure? All good? Okay. Um, first of all, I'd like to start with a story because it saves me having to talk about myself and all that sort of stuff, and so we'll just listen. Uh, so most of you will know the story, but if you do, you can humor me. Uh, so some time ago, in a fairly unknown part of the world, a baby was born. Uh, this baby wasn't born into any particularly exciting or well-known family. Uh, he wasn't born into wealth or power. Uh, he came into the world with little fanfare and few knew of his coming. But there were some that knew that he was promised. And uh, they came to visit the newborn baby. They brought him gifts. Uh, and this man kind of grew up in relative obscurity. He worked a humble job. He helped out around his home. Uh, but few knew what had been spoken and promised about him. But then at the age of 30, he stood up in front of a crowd to speak and began a new thing, and the rest, they say, is history. And now, every year, people celebrate his birth. So, do you know who I'm talking about? Yes. Who? No, me. <laughs> I am indeed 30. This is indeed the first time I'm speaking in front of a group of people, and I wasn't a very well-known baby, but hey, I'm here now. Uh, but yes, that story is also more relevant and more appropriate to Jesus, um, but I just thought it'd be a fun way to start. So, today I'm talking about identity, and hopefully... That story should illustrate why identity and misplacing it can be important. Um, Paul, who's one of the main writers of the New Testament and early influences of the early church, certainly thought so. Um, so today we're going to be looking at one of his letters, which uh, John actually read from the same chapter this morning, uh, Galatians, to help us. So whilst we are talking about identity, I should probably properly introduce myself. Um, so most of you will know who I am. I'm Tom. I've been here for a long time. Um, I'm married to the lovely Meg. Uh, and I'm the father of two lovely boys. We've got Josh and Zeph. Um, I'm a primary teacher, so I'm in a very good mood because it's now summer. But obviously, at the end of summer, all prayer is still welcome. Uh, and within the church, if you've been here a while, you'll have seen me around doing various things. Um, but that's not where I get my identity from. Uh, in terms of identity, I'm aware that to some of you, I will come across as very confident. Um, but believe it or not, I'm not. Uh, I get especially nervous and embarrassed about publicly speaking, so this is fun. Uh, I have a massive tendency to murmur and to rush, especially when I get excited or nervous, so please do feel free and love to slow me down, because hope is family, and I generally would rather you heard what I said rather than just smiled at me politely. Okay, so... <laughs> um, so I'm going to speak to you about Galatians, and uh, I should say that one of the things I've got going for me is although my confidence in myself isn't necessarily as good as it could be, I get my confidence from who I am in Christ. And that's kind of my encouragement for today. Um, our identity is important because it shapes both our worldview and how we see ourselves and how we see others. If formed right, it can help us to tackle the big issues, but if found in the wrong places, it can cause massive problems without us even being aware. So, I, you've probably gathered by the fact I'm standing here, I'm a professed Christian, I love Jesus, I gave my life to him a long, long time ago, um, and that forms a lot of who I am. I'm aware that most of you sitting here will probably identify with that, a lot of you will be Christians, but in case you're not, the idea of identity is still important, um, it's important to think about uh, no matter what you believe. So whether you're here believing that Jesus is your Lord, or whether you're here just thinking about it, or whether you're just visiting a friend, I just encourage you to think about your identity as we're going along anyway. Um, so... The word identity can be used for a whole lot of things. I'm going to be using it in a specific niche way because um, it can be a very sensitive issue. Um, 
part of our identity is something that we have to take ownership of. Um, so there isn't enough time to properly talk about everything, but particularly I wanted to first um, affirm a feeling that some of you may be feeling or might have been feeling uh, that there's a gap that often occurs in how we feel uh, we ought to be compared to where we are now. And the way we are now and the way that we feel we ought to be might be different. Um, so we are going to just be aware that the Bible affirms that gap. It says that we're living in a broken world and that creation itself is groaning for restoration. Um, and the question is really, is our identity something that's given to us or something that we need to create ourselves? So if we live within a framework such as atheism, a world without God, then it makes absolutely perfect sense for us to try and create our identities ourselves in a variety of ways, and this can be seen evident all around us. Uh, career, family, sex, fame, money, power, race, gender, saving the world, working hard and being liked. And this can be a great burden, having to carve it out for ourselves. It's like, um, uh, it's like being Atlas, the Greek titan holding the world on your back. Um, but when we talk about identity, and this is what I'm talking about in a Christian sense of the world, it's... It shouldn't be something that we do on our own. It should be something that's given to us. Our identity is given to us by God. So just uh, whilst you're listening, it'd be good to just think about where are you getting your identity from. It's good just to take a moment and check every now and then because it can often veer off in life. Um, so are you shaped by your identity or is your identity shaping you? To clarify, I am not the finished article. I'm a very flawed human being. You can ask my wife about my amazing inability not to see housework. Um, and judging by a few of the giggles, there's a few other couples that can relate. Um, but it's also important to remember that God uses the weak to do great things. And the truth is that we're all flawed in our own strength. We've heard a lot of songs, a lot of words that have said the very same thing. And that we need Jesus and the Holy Spirit to equip us for the good works he set out before us. Um, Hopefully, this morning, in looking what the Bible says about our identity, I've been given the task to hopefully encourage you, that's the aim, on your journey in faith with him today. Um, but again, just as a side note reminder, I kind of, it's, it's happened already. Um, some of you know me and you're expecting great things, which is amazing. I just wanted to talk a little bit quickly about expectation, um, because expectation is an amazing, powerful tool. And God loves to show up where he's wanted um, so if you're not yet in that place, I'd like you to get there. It won't be the best preach you've ever heard, but I believe God's got some stuff for you. Um, so I know that there are distractions. I'm aware that my son is normally the main one, but at the moment he's quite quiet. Um, but just, if you can, focus on what you think God is saying to you. So sometimes we can think we need to get into the zone. Uh, we can think we might need a couple of worship songs, someone to pray for us, someone to bring a word. Um, but the truth is, God wants to meet with you, and when you wake up, he's already sat at the bed, at the end of the bed, wanting to have a chat and wanting to spend time with you. He's not a God that requires you to do things. He's a God that requires you to be with him, and that's, that's it. Um, and hopefully that will come across in this talk, uh, the fact that he's done it. So, Galatians 3, 1 to 9. It's a fun one. Um, I'm going to be reading from the NIV, uh, and it was written by, like I said, a guy named Paul who is a bit of a big deal. Uh, he wrote most of the New Testament, so we respect what he says. It, um, it made it into the Bible, so we take it seriously, um, but it does start off pretty strongly. So it says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. 
I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works or the law, or by believing what you heard? Sorry, the works of the law. Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that it is those of faith who are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham saying, all nations will be blessed through you. So then, those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So, a lot of you will know this already, um, but it's good to remind ourselves. A bit of backstory to the passage uh, is Paul is writing to a church in Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. Um, He knows them, he loves them, which is why he feels he can scold them. Um, the, The church in Galatia had received many visitors well-meaning people of authority um, who'd come along and they had suggested adding or taking things away from the gospel. So a a Jesus and. And uh, when Paul had left the Galatians, he taught them the gospel, the good news, um, and that Jesus had done it all for them and that they were free, uh, but then they'd added to it. So Jesus and devotional time every day. Jesus and religion. Jesus and no bacon. Jesus and circumcision. They were diluting the gospel message with, uh, which most of us believe, with additional things. Uh, So this concerns Paul, not because of what they were doing, but that what they were doing showed a lack of understanding in their identity. So Paul is great. I really like Paul. Um, As a teacher, I can really identify with him. He asks a series of rhetorical questions to wrestle what he calls the foolishness, the stupidity, out of the Galatians. So I will use rhetorical questions quite a lot in primary school. Um, They're a great tool. They they tell you that I know you know the answer, and I know you know I know the answer, and therefore what are you going to do about it? So for instance, I might say to a child, are you picking your nose? I know they're picking their nose. I can see them with their finger up their nose, scrabbling around for nutrition. But what I'm saying is that, you know, are you taking your hygiene seriously? Are you putting yourself in a position where you're going to be wanting to be touched and around by your friends, or are you going to be shunned by society? The decisions that you're making are having an effect on the people around you. Um, Often at the end of break time, the classic, should you have hit him, has to come out. Um, They know the answer is no. I know the answer is no. But the point is, They know we don't accept violence and that we have boundaries in place to ensure that everyone's safe and treated fairly. A regular one that you get is, where are your school shoes today? They know, I know they're at home. If they were here, they'd be on their feet. Uh, But what I'm getting to the root of is two things. Um, One is the fact that they are showing a lack of importance and respect to the boundaries that we as a group have decided to put in place, Um, but also to let them know that I notice them that I see them as important and I want them to be part of the class, just as much as anyone else. And therefore, my expectation of them is the same as everyone else. That I notice the little things about them and want them to be part of our family and learn to respect the people around them in order to grow and feel included in later life. Now, I don't always say these additional comments every time. 
they're often implied by the reflection and the tone of my question. But actually, they are children. So more often than not, I do explain why I'm asking. And Paul does too. Later on in the passage, uh, he goes on to say, uh, have you done anything to add to the gospel? And the answer is nothing. So our efforts don't meet perfect standards. That's why we've already heard Jesus came in the first place to save us because we couldn't save ourselves. So Paul asks, have you received by hearing or doing? Hearing. He knows, they know. Was Abraham considered righteous? Which if you don't know who Abraham was, he's often called the father of faith um, because he followed the law or because he trusted God. Now, to the hearers, this would be really obvious because Moses, the man who the law was given to, hadn't even been born when Abraham was around. So Paul knows the answer and he knows they know the answer. He's trying to get to the point, the root of what they're saying. Paul isn't saying that the things they're doing are bad things. He's pointing out that the weight and significance they put on them is undermining the very nature of what the good news means, which is stupidity and foolishness in his eyes and why he gets a little irate. In fact, because of the gospel, we should want to do good things. Love should create action. Richard's already talked about being married, and it's all well and good me saying I love Meg, but if I don't spend time with her, if I don't talk to her, if I don't hang out with her, it doesn't show love. It becomes a word and not an action. So he's not saying what they're doing is bad, and in and of themselves, actually, a lot of these things are good. I mean, personally, I'd rather not give up bacon. I quite like my bacon, and I certainly wouldn't be first in the queue for circumcision. But they are actions, uh, they're not the works. So they don't make us right with God. And adding them is really a bit insulting to God when you think about it. You're basically saying that Jesus' death and resurrection wasn't enough to call you into the family of the Father. So when my son, Josh, lovingly shares his food with me, like he's being a really good son, he holds his apple up and says, Daddy Apple, that doesn't enable me to love him or to accept him. I already did. Uh, before he was even born. And actually, before he was even born, I had gone and I bought him clothes, pram, car seat, the works. Um, we set aside and purposefully furnished and decorated a room for him. I say we did, we got Brian to, but the point's still there. Um, <laughs> and interestingly enough, I was thinking about this. I even, bear in mind this was a 20-week scan, got on a helium balloon, which is still inflated three years later. So if you don't think miracles happen, I think that's a pretty good testament. Maybe not the most important one, but it's pretty good. Um, so, the truth is, I bought him the apple that he's presenting me with. I washed it, I peeled it, I cut it up, I even put it on his tray, which I bought. I put it on his high chair, which I provided. In the comfort of our house, which I am paying for by going to work and paying for the heat, the water, the electricity, council tax, the works, it costs me greatly. But don't get me wrong, I love the sentiment of his offering the apple to me. I love to see his expression of love towards me and his growing in character. But if he didn't share the apple with me, would I love him less? Would I start to demand rent and pay back when he's 18? Will I give him an invoice for services rendered throughout childhood? Will I demand vengeance for all the sleepless nights he's given me? It's tempting, but no, I'm not going to. Yeah, <laughs> precisely. <laughs> Because the gospel is this, it is a loving father paying it all and laying it all down because he loves us, because he loves us, because he loves us. There is nothing that I can do to make him love me more, even if I wanted to. There is nothing I can do to make him love me less, even if I wanted to. 
All I can do is be thankful and accept the gift or reject the gift. Now, that freedom to choose him is Christianity, and we often call it grace. Christianity is just the people who've said, yes, please, I accept that gift. And you might be somebody here today that hasn't heard that side of the story before, and you've always thought you had to do this and had to do that to get right with God. And I just wanted to make that really clear that actually we believe that he's done it. When Jesus hung on the cross, he said three really important words. It is finished. He's talked about being paid in full. Now, uh, going back quite a while, Meg and I, pre-children, uh, went to one of our favourite cafes in Malvern called The Kettle Sings. It's a lovely place with lovely views. Not so good for children, so we haven't been for a while. Um, but the day we went, we uncharacteristically splashed out. We uh, not only had a drink, I know. Uh, we had lunch, which we don't normally do, because Meg's frugal. Uh, and we had lunch, cakes, several drinks. We laughed and we played cards, which is what we often used to do. Uh, playing cards in a cafe is, I know what you're thinking, the height of coolness. You're welcome. You can, you can copy me if you want to. Um, but unbeknown to us, the point is, when we got up to pay, somebody else had footed the bill. They chorded the cost. No one had said anything to us. We had no idea until we went to go and pay. Uh, and we were gobsmacked. We were thankful, but we were gobsmacked. We didn't really know what to do. Um, so to this day, we have no idea who that person was. Could have been a Christian, could have not been a Christian. But the impact that had on our day was immense. We couldn't stop talking about it in the car on the way home. We couldn't stop telling our friends, couldn't stop telling our family. And that's the result that good news has. So, the Bible's very clear. We should have had to pay the cost. And the Bible calls that mercy. <laughs> what Joshua received when he's 18, no invoice. And grace is getting what you don't deserve. Quite frankly, what my boys are riding on at the moment... They aren't doing any chores, although Josh started helping this morning. Helping. But if they did, at least it might cover my ineptness and make me look better to his mum. They just get all the good stuff. But the point is, God isn't inept. God doesn't need us to do things for him. We call that grace, that Jesus paid it all. And just as a side note, I'm not going to talk about this, but just to remind you, the Father, God, loves giving gifts. So this is what Paul is trying to say to the Galatians. Oi, you, stop trying to add to what Jesus has done. He's already done it. Instead, live as you are. Your identity is not in what you do, but that you are free in his grace and mercy. To love him and those that he loves, as he loves you. So, I have a question, which is for you and for myself, which is, are you adding anything to the gospel of Jesus? Is it Jesus and my career? Is it Jesus and my family? Is it Jesus and my possessions? Jesus and serving at church? Jesus and looking good? I think Meg does as well. Not the ignoring the gospel bit, she just looks nice. Um, Jesus and good reputation? Jesus in daily devotion? Jesus in doing the right thing? Jesus in saying the right thing? Jesus in standing up at the front in front of others preaching? My question is, for me too, what, if anything, do you need to repent of? Because chances are, we've fallen into the trap of the Galatians and listened to and seen people doing things, good things, well-meaning things, but we've taken them on as extra baggage and they've defined us. 
And they become what gives us our identity rather than in what God did. So if you've ever seen Downton Abbey or any of those period dramas of that sort, I got made to watch them, I'll be honest. <laughs> I'll be honest, I did get into them until Matthew died and then it went all downhill. But there is a clear divide in upstairs and downstairs. The rich and entitled and the poor. Now, Christianity is God inviting you to stay in his manor house in the finest suite as his distinguished guest with everything paid for. You can think of the Ritz Hotel or some other glamorous place that you've been to. And it's all for free because God is a lavish God. And not only is he inviting you, he's giving it to you because he's a good father and he wants you to enjoy his company and stay with him. And what your works are doing is they're sometimes saying to him that to be with him, to accept his offer, you have to be good enough for him. You first need to cook his dinner, to wash his car, to tend his livestock, etc., etc. And some of you are living as if you were a servant downstairs. You're missing out on the good things he's got for you and saying that you can somehow earn your place in his house. Now, I don't think that's always intentional. I think sometimes that just happens over time. I think we can lose track in what we're doing, not in who we're loving. Uh, So when you're doing that, and it's been mentioned today, you're being the older brother in the story of the prodigal son. You're missing out on your inheritance. Your inheritance is God. And as a side note, if the prodigal son had met the older brother first rather than the father, he too would have become a servant and not a son. So I want us to not be the older brother. Uh, When we add things to the gospel, what we effectively say to God is, what you did, giving your own son in my place wasn't enough and that hurts and it hurts us to have to walk, work towards it and it hurts our relationship with the father just as it did the older brother now I'm aware in saying this that it sounds a bit condemnationy, and I don't want it to feel that way actually I believe this is out of love because I just want you to realise how much God loves you, God pursues you God wants you to be in a relationship with him and that's the key he still loves you if you put things in front of him but the point is, are you putting things in the way of him? So, um, most of you will know that we have our two boys, Josh and Zeph. I've already introduced them this morning. Um, but not all of you will know that we um, first had a daughter called Joy. Uh, Joy was born very early uh, with a condition that medical professionals deemed as incompatible with life. Um, so to know you're going to lose your child, uh, someone you love with all your might, someone you're so eager to see and someone you treasure with all your heart is hard to go through the loss is even harder and um, that's something I don't think we uh, always really grasp and understandably so because it's something that's not healthy to dwell on too much but nevertheless God the Father not only had to give up Jesus his son and he had to watch and he did that for you as someone who has held their first child and lost them, that hurts. But the point is, all joy ever knew for a fleeting time on this earth was love. No pain, no suffering, just the furious love of two incredibly grateful and thankful parents. Yet still it was hard. Even when we knew the end of the story. If you're a Christian, you know the end of the story. We know that joy gets to experience paradise and eternity with Jesus, but that doesn't stop the hurt. Now, God didn't get to witness Jesus have a nice time. 
Jesus was crucified. The most barbaric form of torture by professionals. It's one of the most highly attested historical factors about Jesus' life was his death and the nature of it. And the point is, he did that for you so you didn't have to add anything to it. He made the way so that you didn't have to. Because he loved you. Because he saw that you weren't able to make it on your own. There's nothing you can add. He took on himself everything that we deserved. But it didn't stop there. On the third day, Jesus rose again. He defeated the death and made it a way where there was no way. He gave us eternal hope. A hope that the world cannot take away. A hope that cannot be added to or taken away from. A hope that means that I know that one day my sons will meet their sister that they've never met before in paradise and will spend eternity worshipping the Lord. And to me, that is the most amazing news. Not because of anything I've done. I can't do anything. All I do is trust in the fact that Jesus died for me. All I do is trust that Jesus rose again for me. I can lead worship at the front. I can preach in front of you. I can love my wife. I can go to school and work hard. It won't add anything to the fact that Jesus has done it all. I do those things because of what Jesus did for me. Not to try and impress him. Because of from love comes love. It's all right to get emotional. I love Hope Church. We're family. <laughs> so, uh, I just want to go back to that repentance phrase. Because, you know, you can often get that uncomfortable feeling when we hear the word repentance. But I just want to remind you that it just means changing direction. It just means turning around. For any of you that have seen Josh, he loves running. Anyone that's seen him at the end of a church meeting will see he's a hot, sweaty mess. Running in any direction. And the problem is he'll often run towards dangerous things. And I mean he'll literally run. And every now and then he, now, he needs a shout to stop, turn around, come back to where it's safe, to where we can look after you. And that's what Paul's doing with the Galatians. He's saying stop, turn around, come back to where it's safe and good. So our identity, what is it? Is it something that we've built for ourselves or is it something that's given to us? And I would urge you, if you believe Jesus... Let it be something that's been given to you. There's no point creating it yourself. It's not going to do anything. Are we being foolish? Are we being a slave or are we being a child? Are we scolding ourselves like the older brother and toiling for the father's approval when it's already there? Or are we the prodigal son that messed up but accepts it and recognizes and realizes they need a helping hand? So where does your identity come from? Does it come from who you belong to? Because it should. So this is where we come to land the plane of the preach. Uh, I'm going to invite us to stand and just close our eyes. And I'd like to uh, pray for a few groups of people. We've got, I think, plenty of time. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, I'd just like to pray for us all. Um, there are three groups I'd like to pray for. You might be one group. You might be several. You might be none. Um, but I'd just like you to pray and respond in your hearts. And if it's not you, then you can still add your amen and be praying for others. Um, so just to make everyone feel comfortable, could we stand up, please? That'd be lovely. Yes. Lord, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to come and share. Lord, I pray that anything that wasn't of you falls to the wayside. And Lord, I pray that anything that was from you takes root. 
Lord, I just want to pray for anybody here uh, who feels they need to repent and come back to Jesus' gospel, the good news. For those that have put their identity in thing, an identity in things other than Jesus, um, I just pray that you know, it could be their first time, it could be the second time, it could be the hundredth time, you don't care. You just love people coming to you with open arms. And I just pray that you draw us back into your fatherly heart and just reveal yourself anew today. And Lord, I'd like to pray for anyone who needs a refresh, who thinks, you know, I might have become the older brother. I feel like I'm working really hard to earn your acceptance, but actually I just need to remember that you did it all. I need to come back like the prodigal and just say, Father, take me back, but actually realize that the father hitched up his trousers and got dirty and ran to embrace you first. That your identity is rooted in what he has done, not in what we have done in the past and in the present. And finally, I'd like to uh, pray for those who've got this in their hearts. For those whose identity is firmly rooted in the gospel and in the scripture. I pray that it would ever be so, Lord, that the gospel would never become dull to them. Would they therefore be significant in shaping the culture, not only of this church, but also in their homes, in their workplaces, wherever they go. Because this world needs to know the identity that the Bible gives them. They need to know that it's not about working. It's not about carving something out for yourself. It's about trusting in what the Lord has given to you freely and lovingly. And as we go out from this place, would you equip us with your Holy Spirit to testify and share in your gospel, living it out and loving others, secure in our identity in you. It doesn't matter if we say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. It doesn't matter if we forget. Lord, it just matters that you love us because you love us because you love us. Lord, in your glorious name, we pray your kingdom come and your will be done. Amen.